Welcome to Last First Date Radio, featuring interviews with experts in dating, relating, and mating in midlife. And now, here's your host, Sandy Weiner. This is episode number 441 with Sandy Wesnicki. Five lessons learned after getting dumped right before her wedding. Hi, everybody. I'm Sandy Weiner. Welcome back to Last First Date Radio, where we believe that a woman of value naturally attracts the respect she deserves in life and love. And if you're looking to build your confidence, get my book. Uh, It came out last year. It's called Becoming a Woman of Value, How to Thrive in Life and Love. And it's filled with 30 tips and exercises to help you step more fully into your value and it's available on Amazon for Kindle or paperback. This week's tip from the book on becoming a woman of value is don't make assumptions. Boy, do we like to live in assumptions. And as you know, making assumptions, uh, it makes an asset of you and me. Uh, it's, it's just so easy to build a story based on our past history, our triggers, And so if you catch yourself making an assumption about somebody, my suggestion to you this week is to just get curious, ask a question instead of making an assumption. And before I bring Sandy on, I will invite you to join our Facebook group. It's called Your Last First Date. And we are a group for women over 40 who are interested in self-growth when it comes to relationships. This is a very very monitored group, many groups for women who are single or in relationships at this stage in life or any stage are just not monitored. And so the posts are often really negative and um, paint, paint dating and relationships in a really bad light. And that is really against my policy. So if you would like a safe place to go where you get positive support, join us at your last first date. Sandy Wisnicki is a coach who helps career-driven women and working moms master their stress and anxiety so they can start enjoying their lives more. She helps them motivate themselves with kindness instead of criticism, I love that, and improve their relationships and kick butt at work without feeling mom guilt or feeling like an imposter or fraud. Welcome to the show, Sandy. Thank you for having me, Sandy. I appreciate it. All the Sandys. This is so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so Sandy, getting dumped right before your wedding. Wow, that sucks. Um, how <laughs> did that help you grow into a better version of yourself? Sucked. That's a good word to use. Yeah, <laughs> can't say it was pleasant. Um, but so, yeah, getting dumped just a few weeks before my wedding It was, it was the most painful experience of my life to date, but how I came through it is also honestly the single proudest moment of my life. Um, But honestly, that perspective did not come easily. You know, (laughs) I picture, you know, the end of Shawshank Redemption, uh, Andy Dufresne crawling out through those sewer pipes, like at the moment, like that's kind of what it felt like to, to get through it and to learn those lessons. And we were just for a little background, we were together for eight years through our 20s and into our early 30s. And about four years in, we got engaged. And um, it was maybe about one month before the wedding. I went from bliss (laughs) to being uh, figuratively sucker punched in the gut. 
And I even remember it was a Tuesday. This was just two days after coming home from one of the most incredible experiences of my life. I had just finished yoga teacher training. It was this eight day intensive on this uh, beautiful island off of Maine in the middle of summer. And it was a perfect week. And I was still buzzing with like those blissful vibes and gratitude. And then he said the dreaded, we have to talk. <laughs> You know, oh, that, no. <laughs> that phrase that just makes your stomach drop. Um, mm. And he said, I don't, I don't want to get married anymore. And it's just that contrast, um, wow. that transition from high to low. I mean, it was, it was dizzying. Like in one week, I felt both the best and the worst that I'd ever felt in my life. And, um, you know, through did the following why? Like, why, why did he not want to get married? We, we grew apart. We just weren't for each other anymore. I mean, you grow so much in your twenties and, you know, I can't say there was any one thing in particular, um, on, in retrospect, it was just time, you know, it had run its course uh, when it happened. It, you know, it's so hard to see that. And so just as a result, I mean, those, those next few months were just uncontrollable crying and deep sorrow and honestly some of the greatest lessons that I've ever learned and reading and hearing the stories of other people having gone through that was such a help to me and it, it made me feel connected and not alone it helped uh helped give me hope knowing that okay there's a light at the end of the tunnel this this pain, this suffering is going to come to an end and that's why I love telling this story is to um tell people about the, the path of self-discovery and development that it sent me on and how I became a smarter and stronger and more self-compassionate person because of it. And, uh, you know, I, I love helping other people see that that's possible too. It hurts a lot right now, but from the right perspective, you can learn so much about yourself and about life and come out even stronger on the other side. I so agree. I mean, I've, not experienced getting dumped right before my wedding, but I have definitely experienced heartache. And as I told you right before the show, both my kids are going through breakups right now. And it's really interesting to watch how they both process. I think they're both doing really well, mm. but my, my son is, is like you where, you know, he went through the tears and the 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 heartache but he also did a ton of research and bought a book and you know was working mm. on himself and then saw this as an opportunity for self-growth my daughter it just happened just maybe sunday and today's wednesday so it just mm -hmm. happened it's fresh and it's very fresh and they were together longer and um but you know i have to say that of all the breakups she's had she's also doing better and you know, but it's, it's not, it's not a simple process and having, mm -hmm. you know, going through this now with both my kids, I'm living through it again. I'm living through my own breakups and my own heartache and theirs. And so I would love to hear how, you know, how you dealt with your emotions. Cause a lot of people just don't want to deal with them. You know, they want to push them away or they stay stuck in that, like, why me, why me victim place for a long time. Mm -hmm. And and you really go through the stages of grief. I mean, there's there's bargaining and shock and, and you know, and, and this can't happen yeah. and, uh, and pleading. And so, yeah, tell us tell us how you handled your emotions. 
Yeah, I think that was one of the biggest lessons for me was to learn how to handle my emotions. So, I mean, first and foremost, I think what I learned, which was just amazing for me, was just learning how to feel my feelings. And it sounds so simple enough, right? But it's not something that we we're great at and that we consciously do like on purpose with any of our negative emotions. So we, we still lived together for three months after the wedding was broken off. And it was, it was especially hard coming home from work, knowing that he would be there. And towards the end of those three months, I gotten pretty good at avoiding or numbing or running from the experience of like the full intensity of the pain. Uh, but the day that he moved out, I decided, you know, it's time. I need to feel it all, feel all of it. And so I, I closed my eyes. I let go of any resistance that I felt to the pain. And I just let the full force of it wash over me and wash through me. And I accepted the pain without judgment. It was, it's like both experiencing it and watching yourself experiencing it at the same time. And for me, I did it uh, dancing in my kitchen. (laughs) That just seemed to be the right thing to do for me. And it it just kind of seemed like um, that helped move the emotions through me. And it, it, it left me in a literal and figurative puddle of tears on my kitchen floor. And it was honestly incredibly cathartic. The, the thing is, is we, we avoid the full, uh, the full intensity of any of our negative emotions because it feels like this crushing wave of feeling. It's just, it's not only going to knock us over, but it's going to drag us down and drown us in sorrow and anguish it feels like the pain might kill us or drive us insane. So we hide from it, right? It makes sense though. We're built to seek pleasure and avoid pain. So of course we want to run away from it. But when it comes down to it, our emotions, their energy in motion and energy needs to flow. And if it's blocked, it gets stuck. It doesn't leave. It doesn't fulfill its course. And our our emotions are the, the physical manifestation of our thoughts, right? It's how we physically experience the thoughts in our head. So by blocking them, numbing them, denying them, we're not facing reality. So you need to breathe and witness and let the emotions flow. And instead of judging them and hating the process, <laughs> viewing it through a lens of curiosity is really helpful. You know, you can't, you can't rush the healing process, it takes some time, but avoiding the feelings and numbing them with wine or pot or pills or TV or food or all of the above, like I did, uh, (laughs) it only drags the grieving process out longer because you're not facing it and addressing it. Not to say that those aversion techniques should be completely avoided through the whole process. I mean, you do you, I mean, you need some uh, relief, right? From time to time, you need like, okay, I need a little bit of a break from this really strong feeling and I get it. Just be aware that you will eventually need to face those emotions head on and it won't be as scary as as you think it will be. It's that, that fear of anticipation that really keeps us from allowing ourselves to just release that resistance and feel and allow those emotions to sift through us. 
I love this so much because a lot of the work I do is about feelings, needs, expression. Um, we cannot heal from anything if we don't work through feelings. And often we carry anger, uh, resentment, sadness. We can carry that for decades if we don't mm -hmm. deal with it. Um, I have clients who, you know, this is like childhood stuff. It still lingers because they're afraid to look at it. And once you take it out of the dark and shine a light, it's so much less scary. It's so much so less. So much less. Yeah. And, and I love that you also gave permission to sometimes eat a cake and smoke some pot yes. and do whatever <laughs> works for you. Have some chocolate. But also moving your body. And I love that too, because, you know, I know for my son, he started to just constantly be moving. There was so much pent up energy that he wanted to push into a better place. And so he was walking and running and taking, you know, going on his stationary bike and, and yeah. he felt so much better having like moved his body. So, you know, I, I think these are great suggestions to actually face the face the emotions and mm -hmm. they live a very short time when you take them out and even sometimes you can anthropomorphize an emotion like just say hey sadness what do you want from me today you know and really instead of going go away go find somebody else to make sad yeah <laughs> you know or or even um masking it with uh with toxic positivity and just oh. trying to shove these positive affirmations on top of it as a way of trying to ignore the feeling and make yourself feel better right yeah. it's sometimes yeah. you know when i work with with clients they're like i want to i want to feel confident and i don't want to feel afraid and i don't want to feel these negative emotions i'm like i absolutely get it but the first step isn't thinking of it in a different way the first step is allowing yourself to feel discomfort without running from it. Because that's what I call graceful resilience is to be able to be willing to experience discomfort because it's going to make you stronger and it's going to get you through it. You know, even when you're sitting with somebody else's feelings, like being able to do it for yourself helps in being able to be empathic and not try to make their feelings go away too. And I find that's what we want to do. Oh, everything's going to be fine. It's going to yep. be good. You're good. And I, I have to even push myself to just sit with like my daughter today had a, had a rough time. We're filming this on the day of the inauguration and we were watching it together and we both got really emotional and she was crying in her room. She was celebrating. She just got a job. So after a lot of work, happiness, joy, got a job happiness, joy, inauguration. And I can't celebrate that with my boyfriend. And so she was feeling all of these conflicting emotions, mm -hmm. which is also very common. And I just sat with her and I said, that sounds really hard. You know, not let's, let's go get some ice cream. Because <laughs> yes, that's, that's what we all want to do. You know, it's, it's so, it's so, funny you say that. And I'm so glad you say that because it's such an important step that's so often missed. You know, when we talk to uh, a friend or a spouse and we tell them about something hard we're dealing with and they come back with, oh, don't worry about it. It'll be fine. Or, oh, you know, just, just try this. That'll help. And you don't feel better. And that's because what you're looking for in that moment is somebody to just see your pain mm -hmm. 
And to, to, to give you this sense of that shared humanity in your pain, it's like, oh yeah, okay. I get it. I see it. I, I validate how you feel. And, um, you know, and, and learning to do that to ourselves is, is important. Learning to talk to ourselves just as we would a friend and to give ourselves exactly what we would need from somebody else. If they were giving us this conversation is to just say, yeah, that's hard. That sucks. And it's just yeah. something so simple. It's so freeing in that moment. And it's without judgment or mm. trying to fix. And you keep bringing judgment into this conversation. And I, I want to highlight that because mm. we can be so self-critical and self-judgmental. And when we can have self-compassion and just accept, this is how it is for now. It's going to be sucky for a while. That's okay. The, the okay. first thing I'll say when it comes to self-compassion is uh, what most of my clients will say is that you know, I try, I don't, I just don't get how to do it. And so when I explain, okay, well, let's start with how do you, your friends having a hard time having this exact same experience you are, how would you talk to them? And that makes sense. Like, but how do I, how do I do that to myself? (laughs) And you use the same words directed towards yourself, those same compassionate, motivating words that you would use to someone else using it toward themselves. But what holds them back is, yeah, but it sounds weird. Like, I don't get it. Like, it doesn't feel right. And the analogy that I give to them, and I'm sure you uh, know exactly what I'm talking about here is when you, for example, when you hear your voice played back to you, like in a video or an audio, and you think, "Mm, is that how I sound? That's so weird. I don't like that. (laughs) And um, it's, it doesn't sound like me is what it is, what it feels like when you hear your voice. The thing is, is it is you. It's just not the you that you're used to hearing. Um, Just like that self-compassionate voice, you know, we have, we're such a mimicking species and we see so many examples of people being hard on themselves. Uh, We don't see enough examples of people being self-compassionate, right? So it's kind of weird and kind of foreign at first. And so people jump to a conclusion that this just isn't working for me. You know, I can't talk to myself like this. (laughs) That's okay. It's okay because it feels weird at first because you aren't used to talking to yourself like that. So let's say your friend, um, I don't know, wants to lose weight and uh, she had a stressful day and ate a pint of ice cream and she calls you up feeling really guilty about that. Now you wouldn't say to her, oh my God, that's disgusting. You're never gonna lose weight because you don't have the willpower to do it. One, no, you wouldn't because it's so mean. And two, it's, it creates this self-fulfilling prophecy, right? You know, cause that's going to stress her out, probably reaching for more sweets for comfort, or it's going to completely demotivate her and just make her give up. But the thing is, is we use that same voice to ourselves when we fail or when we, we misstep. Um, so what you would say to your friend is, oh, that's all right. It's just, this is one day. We're going to take this one day at a time, one meal at a time. You know, you had a stressful day and you fell back on an old habit. It's okay. It happens. Let's keep going. You got this. I'm here with you. You can use that same language towards yourself because one of those sounds motivating. One doesn't. And we just have this misconception that, um, we could be too soft on ourselves and that, you know, we have to motivate ourselves with, with fear and criticism in order to move forward. But didn't that compassionate response sound so much more motivating, right? And it, it just feels much more uplifting. So pay attention to the language that you're using to yourself and um, flip the script. If it's easier to just kind of 
I love the idea of, of imagining that you're telling this to somebody else because it's kind of easier. And what it does also is it um, creates this non-identification with your experience because when we start feeling really bad about ourselves and I'm not good enough and all of these limiting beliefs that are causing this negative self-talk, um, we, we identify with it so much that we believe it to be true. And we believe, okay, I have this thought. So that means I am this, I am bad, um, or I am not good enough. I am not lovable. So when you take a step back and you imagine that you are this, that your friend is dealing with this issue and what would you say to her, then that gives you the language that you should be using inward and it, and it just gives you that space to be able to talk to yourself. I think that we often confuse our feelings with who we are. So mm. if we're feeling really bad, you know, the language you were just using, I am bad, I am, but it's really, I'm just feeling those feelings. And I'm reading the uh, the book, Taming Your Gremlin again. Have you ever read that book? Yeah. It's like, yes. I, I just had I it out to refer to a client um, who just, goes into and andrea places. owens is it no this one's rick carson it's an old book that oh, was that one. Uh, yep, updated and expanded yeah we learned about this in coaching school and we all have these gremlins and we think they're real and then he has a great way of just making it comical and taking it and realizing it doesn't really have power over you all those voices in your head if you learn how to tame them but this is not what we're talking. This is I, this is like another hour podcast. It is. So it, I mean, back, it's related. But for it is sure, important. But... Yeah, it's important part of the process. Because um, yeah, when you get broken up with and dumped, you often start feeling like, "What's wrong with me?" So let's let's go to the five steps that you took to heal after you were dumped. Yeah. So that first one is you know, learning to accept emotions and, and to allow them and to acknowledge them. Um, and then uh, I would say the next biggest lesson learned for me is how to reframe a difficult situation. Now, reframing, it is such a powerful tool. It's essentially, what's another way of looking at this, right? But when we are in the thick of an emotion, especially in a negative emotion, we, like I said, we identify with it so strongly, it's hard to step back and to take an objective view from all sides. Um, so I'll give you an example during this process uh, that really helped me personally. There was one day I was at work, um, it's probably maybe a month after the canceled nuptials, and I was <laughs> in the bathroom rather unsuccessfully holding back tears when um, a woman I work with, she came in, she asked me what's, what's going on. And I told her the situation and uh, she put it into perspective for me. So her story is she'd met the man of her dreams in her forties, got married a little bit later than most people. And he was a really smart and talented doctor. And shortly after they got married, he started showing signs of Alzheimer's. And it was only a few years later that she had to place him into a full-time facility near home. Um, so in that bathroom, she said to me, at least you don't have to watch him suffer. And, you know, she wasn't making it about her. Um, she was offering me perspective. And 
And she was right. And that's exactly what I needed to hear in that moment. I mean, I know we were talking about at first, you know, you know, we usually aren't looking for somebody to solve our problems. We're looking for somebody to, to acknowledge them. Um, in that moment, I, what I was ready for was a new perspective and that's is exactly what I needed. Uh, and I, I looked at what I was experiencing and realized my situation really could be much worse. I mean, this is the, the end of a relationship and I'm only in my early thirties. I have so much more life in me left in it. You know, it's, you know, this relationship wasn't meant to be, and that's fine. And she's right. I didn't, uh, I didn't have to uh, sit back and experience what she's experiencing, which is uh, much more difficult than my situation. And so, and it, it also gave me that shared humanity in the, in the experience that I, that I mentioned that shared humanity in our, our suffering of loss, you know, because when we start to feel, um, isolated and alone and, uh, kind of feeling bad for ourselves, uh, we forget that we, we all suffer and we have things to learn from other people. And, um, something about that connection and understanding that other people feel this way too, and they are able to move through it is just so comforting. Comforting. So now when I am dealing with a situation that makes me angry, makes me sad, irritated, guilty, ashamed, you know, I'm able to step back and try to reframe the situation by asking questions. So instead of judgment, just like we were talking about stepping into curiosity, which is the opposite of judgment. So asking questions like, what's another way of looking at this? Is this true? Uh, one of my favorites is, uh, what's the story I'm telling myself here? Because that also creates a little bit of a non-identification with what's going on and, and recognizing, okay, the thoughts in my head, this is a story. I'm telling myself that my parents are going to be ashamed of me because I this relationship failed. Okay, well, is that true? <laughs> um, and some other questions are, what's the worst that could happen? And if that does happen, how will I cope with that? Because I know I can. Um, one of my other favorite questions to ask myself is, if the universe gave me this situation on purpose, what was the lesson I was supposed to be learning right now? And that starts to put me into, take you out of that fixed mindset of, oh my God, this is bad and I hate this and this pain is gonna last forever. Um, and into a growth mindset of curiosity and opportunity. Um, and it's, it's much more, it's a much more freeing vantage point. And it's such a subtle shift to, to go from, uh, from, from judgment to curiosity. It's so subtle, but it's so profound. I love those questions. I think we often feel like it takes you from victim when you're thinking, why is this happening to me instead of for me? So mm. what am I learning? You know, as you're talking about the woman in the bathroom, I was thinking about a perspective for her situation too, where at least she found love. You know, a lot of people don't even take that risk. So she found it later in life and it didn't work out the way she imagined, but she got to experience love. And, you know, that's a story I'm making up about a total stranger that I haven't even met. But it's a great I example. Like, <laughs> I think we often just see it as, oh, well, you know, this shouldn't have happened. Why did I waste all my time? Why couldn't I? Why? What's wrong with me? So I love the I love the question. So accept and allow emotions, reframe and get a new perspective. Um, so what's the third step? 
The third thing that I learned through this process was um, to know my values, my core values, and to live in tune with them and to recognize when I'm not living in tune with them. Um, so for example, um, he said that we shouldn't get married because he wanted, he didn't want to have children, but I did, even though we hadn't had much conversation around it yet as you know, it's an important conversation to have before you get married. <laughs> so yeah. I said, you know, maybe I don't want to have kids. Like I don't have to have kids. Um, you know, in retrospect, in retrospect, I, I didn't truly believe that I was just kind of grasping at straws, trying to keep hope alive for the relationship. Um, and another big one was, uh, you know, so we still lived together a little while after, uh, the, wedding was canceled and he hadn't he said he hadn't technically broken up with me yet he said he only didn't want to get married so uh so we had agreed to try to work it out um and then just on a hunch because some things felt a little off I snooped on his phone and I'm embarrassed to admit it but I took his phone when he wasn't in the room and I looked through his personal private messages just on a hunch. And um, yeah, the, the punishment for that breach of privacy was yet another figurative uh, sucker punch to the gut because I saw some text exchanges with another woman on his phone and a few pictures. Um, that is besides the point because it felt terrible to me. Yeah, of course it felt terrible to see those texts in the pictures, but um, for me, the ends didn't justify the means. Um, you know, this, it was dishonest to invade his privacy. And the way I saw it was the karma was quick to level the playing field. You know, I learned my lesson immediately because what I saw hurt. And um, so when I had said I didn't want to have children, it wasn't true. And deep down, I knew it, you know, and it felt dirty and wrong for looking at his phone. Uh, when I knew it was an outright invasion of his privacy, regardless of, you know, the fact that I found questionable material. Um, and those are what we call values conflicts, right? So through making those mistakes, I learned to identify what my values are to recognize when there's a conflict, um, either caused by my own thoughts or actions or by other people. Now, knowing your values, I describe it as it's like, it's like having a brighter flashlight to get you through the woods at night. Like you might be able to make your way out without a light, maybe just the moonlight, but you're more likely to trip or wander off path or get hit in the face by a branch. But knowing your core values, it's like a guiding light to help you make tough decisions with confidence and with clarity. And I learned okay, I value honesty, I value kindness, I value integrity, authenticity. And those are four things that I did not live up to in those moments. And um, that's what made them feel wrong and led me astray. This is such an important piece here. And I think I just, I just want to pause for a minute because Often we don't, we're not tr true to ourselves and we don't even see how we're out of alignment. And when you have perspective, like when you can really step back and see, okay, where was I not really living true to myself? And where was I losing myself in order to try and people please make the relationship work, 
beg, plead, you know, it's, um, it's really important to take a look at living in alignment with your core truth, your core values. I, I, I when I look back at my marriage, I was trying to adapt in, in a way that wasn't me anymore. And I, at one point I couldn't live with myself and that's when I got divorced, but it's like, you can kind of play along. I, I know somebody right now who's getting married and he's not sure he wants to have kids and his wife, his future wife really does. They've been living together a long time and he's really afraid to like even go to therapy with her and work this out. This is a really important conversation and some people do work it out. Some people can, like if you identify that this is really important to you and you would be devastated if you didn't try, then you know that it could be the wrong relationship and it's important to know that before you get married and then have all those arguments and can't get along. So that's, that's really important. All right, we're up to number four. Number four for me was learning the power and freedom of forgiveness. So I think um, I'm sure there's some people listening who heard what I found on his phone and were thinking, oh my God, I'd be so mad. It totally justifies what you had done because now you know what happened. Um, but I'd say to that on paper, yeah, I had reasons to be angry and to this day, I could still hold a grudge. And I think many people would think that that was justifiable. But to be frank, that sounds exhausting to me. Now, I certainly was angry for months. It's only natural. It was, it was part of my grieving process. But I came to realize that anger felt terrible inside me. You know, my ego was holding on to this idea that I'm right and he's wrong. And I asked myself, so what? where is the benefit of holding on to this? And I had no answer. There was no benefit into me holding on to anger. Um, just like the, um, there's a, a parable or a Buddhist uh, phrase. I'm paraphrasing here, but it's ang holding on to anger is like grasping a hot coal with the intent of uh, throwing it at somebody else when it's you that gets burned. Right. And I, I kept that in mind. Um, yeah, that's the poison when drinking poison, hoping the other person will die, right? <laughs> it's, exactly. Uh, yeah. But this was a person who was very important to me for a long time. We were together for eight years. I wished him well then when we were together. So why should I stop now that we aren't together? Because everyone makes mistakes. I had to make my own mistakes and I've made plenty of them so far and <laughs> <laughs> to finally understand what my mother had always says, you know, everyone's just doing the best they can with what they have. And I believe that to be true. You know, when I looked at his phone, even though it was wrong, you know, I was still doing the best I could with what I had at the time. You know, I had pain. I had a strong desire to find like the real reason for it. You know, I had opportunity when he was out of the room, I had a very strong curiosity and I had a lack of restraint. So that's what I was dealing with in that moment. <laughs> yeah. I needed to forgive myself. I made mistakes. I admitted them. I learned from them. You know, at that point they'd run their course and it's time to forgive. You know, plus yeah. since I know that kindness is a core value of mine, I need to live according to my values in order to feel good and authentic and right and holding on to anger. It's not being kind to myself, you know, and I can full heartedly say I forgive every wrongdoing by him. You know, he's a human and makes mistakes just like me. 
Um, and so that anger, we, we make the mistake of believing that forgiveness is for the other person when, you know, you can forgive someone and never tell them about it. You know, it's not for them. It's for you. It's for your own peace of mind. And just like we said, holding on to anger, it's, it's, it's hurting you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's yeah. so true. And so many people will go to their dying day saying, I am never going to let go of anger and I'm going to seek yes. revenge. And it's just, it's, first of all, yeah. it's, it's, it hurts you, but it's also really icky to be around people like that. You know, it's just, yeah. it's a really bad feeling. I've dated men who feel that way about their exes and it's like, yeah, that energy is just, it's, it's really repulsive. Like yeah. it's, it can be addicting, be I think. Yeah. And you look it, you for know, people to support you and your anger. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, kill the beast. Right. <laughs> yeah. There's a self-righteousness to it that feels good. You know, something yeah. in us feels threatened. So we can either respond in anger or fear, you know, fight or flight. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's our way of protecting either ourselves or our ideas or, um, you know, our, our values. And, uh, you know, if, if you want to be angry, be angry, <laughs> but know that it's a choice and it's a choice that you're, you're making. Yeah, absolutely. So taking responsibility, it's your choice. Uh, that's great. So, and what is the fifth step? Um, for me, this was a big one. And it was that I, I learned how to rethink failure, uh, because, mm. well, in retrospect, I realized I wanted the breakup. You know, I'd sometimes I'd imagine him leaving me or maybe on my more dramatic and theatrical days, you know, that he, you know, died in some terrible accident and I, you know, I got to start again. Um, but I came to learn that I was afraid of ending the relationship because it would have meant that I'd failed. You know, I'd accepted an engagement proposal. I spent eight years living with this person, making a life together. I planned a wedding. I'd, I'd made deposits. So to then say it was a mistake that I changed my mind would mean that I, I failed. You know, I, I didn't realize at the time, but I had a huge fear of disappointing my parents. Um, and I was afraid to call them and let them know about this transgression. You know, I never stopped to define failure and what it means to me. You know, at the time, I would have said that it meant to make a mistake or to not reach your goals or to fall short or to not be good enough. But with some time and some space and some introspection, you know, I've since redefined what failure means to me because I learned so much from this failure of a relationship that I now have a new perspective. So failure to me now means giving up on something because or giving up on something that I want because it seems too hard or seems uncomfortable. You know, it does, it means not trying because of fear. So I go back to my reframing tool and then I ask myself questions like, what's the worst that could happen? How likely is that outcome? Um, I think I said it before, but you know, if that worst happens, how will I cope, right? You actually visualize it. We, we catastrophize and we jump to that worst case scenario that's going to happen, but we don't actually think beyond that. Okay, if that were to happen, how would I deal with it? Because that gives us that power back. That fear is this lack of control over the outcome, but actually making a plan for what you do if that bad thing happened, it gives you some control and it makes that bad thing a little less 
scary. Um, but then also mm. taking a little bit of time to asking what's the best that could happen, right? Mm. We don't spend enough time on that question either. You know, cause we, we fear the unknown, like the ambiguous. So define what you're afraid of because it's much less scary on paper. And you know, now you have that opportunity to plan and to problem solve and to prepare. You know, I've never been more accepting of my emotions and tolerant of pain since this experience and this, this journey and everything that I've learned has, has led me to be my happiest me. Mm, that's wonderful. Well, as we come to an end, I would love to hear your final words of advice for anyone who wants to go on their last first date. Notice when you are jumping to a negative conclusion. You know, that words, I think that um, that's what holds us back. We think we're great at predicting <laughs> and we're great at being mind readers. Just notice it. Oh, look, I'm being, I'm playing fortune teller again and assuming that this, uh, you know, this, this guy's going to treat me as badly as the last, or I'm, you know, I'm jumping to some conclusions that this just isn't going to work out. Um, notice it, notice that negative self-talk because then once you notice it, you shine a light on it, you can, you can flip the script. You can examine it. You can ask yourself questions, come at it with an open growth mindset and with curiosity instead of judgment. And that's, that's the key to being kinder to yourself. And that, that allows you to kind of show up with uh, a courage and with authenticity and to be your best you, no matter what happens next. Love it. I think that's great, great final words of advice. And um, we actually started with curiosity with my tip of the day it was about not making assumptions and we're ending with the same thing. This is a good tie tied up in the bow. So uh, Sandy, how can people get in touch with you? And I know you have a free gift. Can you tell us what that is? I do. I have a free stress detox mini course. Um, it's a is four sessions in the course. It's got some, um, you know, video guided uh, breath work and meditations and some easy to apply um, work and tools that you can do right now to decrease your stress and start showing up with a little bit more self-compassion. And you can get that if you join my Facebook group. Uh, it's graceful resilience for women with anxiety. And when you um, click to join, if you put in your email address, I'll send you that uh, access to the free stress detox mini course. Lovely. And we have your website. Um, do you want to just give a shout out to the website? Yes, you can learn more about me. I've got other tons of uh, great free resources on my website, which is stressandanxietycoach.com. Great. Well, thank you, Sandy. I really appreciate this conversation. I'm sure it's going to help a lot of people who have been through breakups, going through breakups, being dumped, whether it's before a wedding or, you know, it just after a month, you know, it's always, it's always a process and these are wonderful tips. So thank you so much. And thanks everybody for joining. If you love our show, please rate and review us. It really helps our show continue to grow and we hope you go on your last first date very soon. 